This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Hey, this is Isaac Pacheco. The Road to Detroit podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dan Hasty. Name a better social media following than Tiger's Twitter. You can't. You can't. When it comes to the team itself at the major league level and its following of players at the minor league level, Nobody does it better. I think it starts at the top. At Tigers is one of the most entertaining follows on that Twitter sphere. And whether it's us as a community following what's going on with the big league team, they're starting to take steps forward. We were here two years ago on the minor league side talking about this being something that would happen. But it's from the top down. It's from what's happening in the major leagues to what's going to be happening in the years ahead. There are a lot of talented people that have been following Tiger's prospects for some time. And what makes a good analyst? First of all, it's being upfront. It's being blunt. It's being honest. And sometimes truth is hard to hear. We should not penalize those who are being honest. We shouldn't only hear what we want to hear. You think back to a decade ago and Tiger's Twitter didn't look at all like it does now. And I would venture to guess that pretty much every year since maybe 2015, maybe 2016, we've all kind of collectively shifted our focus away from what was happening at the big league level to what's happening at the minor league level. And it's been the world's longest construction project. It's like trying to tear up 15 miles of I-75 and you're like, really, still? (laughs) But if you're going to build it, You've got to build it the right way. And for the Tigers, they had to rip things down to the studs. And that means hard decisions. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you have an outstanding level of patience. You know that patience has been required to allow the Tigers to build back up in the correct way. This is an enlightened audience. And you, for listening, are an enlightened fan. And that is why you deserve Nothing but the very best. Rewind two years ago. What were we talking about? We were saying that two years from then, it would be Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, Matt Manning, all up in the major leagues and doing, hopefully, big things. And we also acknowledged that the prospect rate is not always 100%. And here we are, having seen all three of them in the major leagues. All of them are progressing. I think what we'll see next year from Matt Manning will be really telling. But so far, in my opinion, all three of them are fine, and they're on schedule. We gave you that newspaper two years ago. And this year, the newspaper has Spencer Torkelson, it has Riley Green, and it has Dylan Dingler. More than likely next year, it's going to have Jackson Job. it's going to have Ty Madden. But this is the People's Podcast, and this is the Road to Detroit Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It is episode 10 of season two. I'm Dan Hasty. That is our producer, Nate Wangler. You guys deserve the very best. And we're going to give you one of the absolute best voices in the Tigers prospect community. That's Emily Walden of Baseball America, also has done work for The Athletic. Emily will join us for our very first Twitter spaces, where we'll actually invite you to come on and ask questions, to give comments, to write in questions. And Emily and I will have a conversation. We will answer all your questions about the Tigers at the big league level, the ones just breaking into the big leagues, like Derek Hills, the Jake Rogers of the world, and those at the minor league level. So Emily Walden comes up in just a couple of moments. Also coming up on the show, Isaac Pacheco. He was taken with the 39th overall pick. 
One of those left-handed, swinging, left-side infielders, big guy, a lot of power. If you go to MLB Pipeline, the very first thing you read about Pacheco, a lot of similarities to Brady House, who some pegged as the potential number three overall pick for the Tigers in this year's draft. Of course, the Tigers opted for Jackson Job instead, but huge, raw power, and he's already hit his first professional home run. Launched a three-run shot in one of his first games in the Florida Complex League. And in case you're interested in feeling old, Isaac Pacheco was nearly born in 2003. <laughs> but he was a Texas A&M recruit, and he ended up passing up that commitment so he could sign and start his professional career. It's already off to a good start. So I get it's a small sample size, but he's got four hits, and he's actually walked almost as many times as he struck out. You can't ask for much more. It's a lot better than going 0 for 11, right? He's got a 364 batting average. He's on basis 462. He's got his first home run. That was a three-run shot. And he is playing shortstop in the Florida Complex League. They don't make a lot of six foot four shortstops, but... The Tigers are going to try him there. They're going to begin his career as a shortstop. Who knows? Maybe he sticks. Maybe he moves over to third. Either way, he's a premium bat on the left side of the infield. At least that's the design they have for him. And you can tell it was important to Isaac to start his professional career now as opposed to go to college and try to go the college route. So, you know, in that way, you sort of have to bet on yourself. Obviously, you need a team that's willing to make it worthwhile. Already considered to be a top 10 Detroit Tigers prospect. As a matter of fact, Emily Walden, who is joining us a little bit later on in the show, she ranked Isaac as the Tigers' number eight prospect. He is 18 years old and a very young 18. So to see him get off to a good start in the Florida Complex League, that's a big deal. We'll find out what life adjusting to the professional ranks has been like for Isaac Pacheco. Last week, we mentioned that we would do a mailbag here for the road to Detroit. We mentioned that, and we got your questions. So this week, a little bit of a different homework assignment, so to speak. Here's what we would like from you. Find us on Twitter at ThatDanHasty. You can find the road to Detroit at Road to Detroit. Send us feedback. Tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what else you'd like us to cover in the episodes ahead. We have six episodes left, and we want to spend it the way you want to hear it. This is your show. You direct the boat which way you'd like it to go, and we simply paddle along. So tell us what you'd like to hear for the remainder of Season 2 of The Road to Detroit. Make sure you subscribe and hit us with a rating. But most importantly, give your feedback. What's that old saying? Be more constructive with your feedback. <laughs> Let's get to the news. Some of the biggest news is the fact that the Tigers may not need to work too hard to fill their second base spot. Jonathan Scope re-signs with the Tigers for two years. I love that it's a short extension. I love that they continue to give themselves flexibility, and they reward Jonathan Scope for two very good seasons with the Detroit Tigers. So congratulations to both parties on getting that extension figured out. And Derek Hill, known for his speed and fielding ability, has been showing a lot with the bat this year. He continued that last weekend against the Cleveland Indians. 25th pitch of the inning. Fly ball. Deep left center field, has some carry, and it's gone! Derek Hill, they're going to play it, but I think that went over the yellow line. It's a yeah, home run for go. Derek Hill. There you go. It's his first, and the Tigers have jumped on Zach Plesak and the Indians for a three-run second and take a 3-1 lead. Congratulations, Derek Hill. That's been a long time coming, hitting over 270 at last check for the Detroit Tigers. If he can hit like that, considering how he runs and how he plays defensively, yeah, they'll find a spot for Derrick Hill. Let's hit the on-ramp. Well, we want to start talking about the Florida Complex League, the East and West teams to be specific. We might need to keep an eye on an infielder by the name of Carlos Mendoza. Just 21 years old, a free agent signed out of Miami, Florida in 2019. He finished the week three for five, had three runs scored, and on the season he's hitting 404 with a 593 on base percentage. A home run, 10 runs batted in. Even last season, that's 2019, 
he was hitting almost 300 with a plus 400 on base. So this isn't something that just came out of nowhere. He was doing this a season ago and now has carried it into the Florida Complex League. That's worth keeping an eye on even at 21 years old. There's still older players in the Florida Complex League. That much we can tell you for sure. On the west side, we mentioned Isaac Pacheco. He's hit safely in every game he's played so far. He's played well at shortstop, a four-game hitting streak. Here's a member of the most recent draft class, 13th rounder Chris Myers, a corner infielder out of Toledo. He was one of the most feared hitters in the Mid-American Conference. That's the same conference that gives us places like Eastern Michigan, Western Michigan, Central Michigan, and Chris Myers was the baddest hitter in the MAC. He capped off the week with a three-run homer against the Yankees complex squad. As for Roberto Campos, he went two for four with a double. He's only hitting 206, but he does have four home runs. So the power that we thought he has, he certainly has that. Now it's just about making more consistent contact. Got to get that batting average up. Off to low A, Lakeland. The Flying Tigers split a six-game set at home against Daytona. Lakeland's starting to play better and better. They've got an infusion of talent. Some of the 2021 draft picks have made their way to the Flying Tigers. And Jake Holton, who's been there all season, has gotten better and better as well. He swung the bat extremely well in the month of August. Seven for 20, two doubles, two homers, eight runs batted in. Ben Mulgarian, 18th rounder from Northeastern, has hit safely in four out of five games, just got added to the Lakeland roster, and Ben Mulgary's played really well. As for Colt Keith, we had him on this episode like two weeks ago, and then nobody ever heard from him. It was like that scene in The Sandlot. He got really into the 60s, and no one ever saw him again. Well, <laughs> thankfully, Colt Keith is back. He finished 5-7 for seven with a double, four RBIs this past week between the Florida Complex League West team and the Flying Tigers. So welcome back to Colt Keith. Jack O'Loughlin, over his last two starts, the lefty from Australia has allowed just two earned runs through 10 and a third innings of work. He struck out 14 batters. This year he's 3-1, and one, a 2.25 ERA. Off to high A West Michigan. The Whitecaps, they won a series. First time that they've won a series since the end of May. They beat the Dayton Dragons four out of seven. And Ulrich Boyarski, who was arguably the best player in West Michigan, the bulk of the 2019 season, is now back in West Michigan, albeit with the Whitecaps being another notch up the minor league ladder. Now they're at high A, and he put together back-to-back multi-hit games for the first time this season, Four for eight with two doubles, a triple, and four runs batted in. That was the headliner at the plate, and the headliner at the mound was the young man who joined us last week. Reese Olsen, who is a Tigers top 15 prospect after the trade coming over from the Milwaukee Brewers organization. He had six innings, just two hits given up for West Michigan. Struck out four in his debut against Dayton back on August the 6th. We're going to talk about him as the RTD continues when Emily Walden stops by. We're going to talk a little bit more about Reese Olsen's Whitecaps debut. Elsewhere, Garrett Hill, over his last 13 and a thirds, he's just given up three runs, 11 strikeouts, just one walk on the year. He's 3-0. and His ERA sits at 2-11. Actually matched a career high by throwing seven innings in his last start. Off to double-A, Erie. The Seawolves won four out of six against the Harrisburg Senators. And Riley Green, he finished the series against Harrisburg 5 for 13 with a double, a home run in one game over the weekend. And then the next day, they were saying, there's that man again. Here's a drive into left center field and deep. Back this one goes. And that is gone. It is a three-run home run for Riley Green. And Erie has absolutely exploded for seven runs here in the eighth. Riley Green had five runs batted in. Ryan Kreidler currently on an eight-game hitting streak. His season has been a pleasant surprise. He's moved his way into the conversation among Tigers prospects. Four doubles, two homers, and three runs batted in over that week-long hitting streak. The former UCLA infielder hit just 232 in an abbreviated stint with Connecticut. This year with Erie, he's hitting almost 260, and he's got 14 home runs. So his power has rounded into form. Meanwhile on the mound, Bo Brisky. <laughs> no, Bo Brisky allowed only two runs through his first 13 innings. We can cheers to that. Struck out eight in his first week in double-A. 
Triple-A Toledo, they lost five out of seven against the Nashville Sounds, but it wasn't for a lack of offense. At the plate, three-homer game for Kristen Stewart. We're going to talk about him a little bit later in this episode, but you know, looking at what he's done over the last month in AAA, look, with Kristen Stewart, all we can do is go off what the numbers tell us. And in May and June, it was hard for him to find that power stroke again, but he started to figure it out towards the end of June. He had four home runs towards the end of that month. In July, he hit eight home runs, and he's already got three here in the month of August. His on-base plus slugging percentage, the OPS, usually if you're around 800 as a power hitter, you're probably doing all right. So he's been around 1,100 as of late. So he has been off the charts in that department. Again, there's still work to be done. There's still a lot of things. And honestly, who knows if there's a spot for somebody like Stewart in the major leagues. But he's doing his part to at least be part of the conversation. I think when you've gone through what Kristen Stewart has gone through, all you can do is put yourself on the list. And I think he's certainly done that. Meanwhile, Cody Clemens, he's dipped down a little bit at the plate as of late, just two for his last 27, but he's also found some power. His ninth homer against the Sounds came back on August the 7th. But by and large, Kristen Stewart and Cody Clemens, two left-handed hitters in Toledo that have been stinging the baseball, especially over the last six weeks. There's a look at the on-ramp. The Road to Detroit podcast rolls on. One of the newest Tigers prospects in the system is Isaac Pacheco. Was taken in the second round by Detroit with the number 39 overall pick. And now he has vaulted his way into the Florida Complex League. And through four games, I'm telling you, the numbers look good. And especially when you're thinking about the guys he's going up against, Isaac Pacheco joins us now. What's up, my friend? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. This is cool. And you're off to a wonderful start. So I definitely want to hear about that. But I feel like we need to go in chronological order. I feel like there's not a big timeline for you because you're so young. But you've already been through quite a lot and a lot more than a lot of other guys ever do going through professional baseball. So take me back to before high school, before scouts started showing up and we want to make you the storyteller. So give us the earliest memory that you have that represents why you love baseball. So it, it really worked out for me. I had a, a brother that's you know three, four years older than me. And my dad pretty much trained him um, all the way through up high school. So uh, I think since I was four years old, uh, you know, when I you know first started playing, I think that's when I you know really fell in love with the game and and I feel like, you know, I was born, you know, to play baseball and I feel like it was in my blood and and something that, you know, helped me, you know, through like all my, you know, high school and, and, and now is uh, I pretty much played baseball with my brother and, and with his teammates. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, three, four years older guys. And and I think that, you know, really developed me and, you know, made me, you know, mature, faster and easier. And um, that kind of carried on to, you know, whenever I played select ball and and I always played up. I, you know, really never played my level because I was always pretty, you know, advanced when I was little. And like I said, I really think, you know, that kind of, you know, set me apart and made me, you know, mature in the game. And a lot of things that, you know, guys my age can't really learn, you know, at 12 and 13. And I think I, you know, you know, really put in the work and really worked hard and, and you know, really dedicated myself and, you know, made sacrifices and, I think that, you know, really helped me, you know, to the position I am now and, the uh, you know, success I've had in the past. Was your brother annoyed that you were just as good as the other guys and maybe even him? <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he was pretty upset. And then I, you know, I think he uh, kind of accepted it that, you know, I had a little more athletic ability than he did, but it all worked out. Take me through the best game you've ever played. That's a hard one. I think... Uh, I think it was round three this past year. I get a, a pretty good team, and it was a, uh, I think a five for five night, uh, home run, triple, double. Didn't get a single, so I was one away from the cycle. Had ten RBIs. I'm sorry. We did you say? Did you say ten RBIs? Yeah. We ended up scoring uh, twelve runs, I think. So I pretty much had all of our runs. That was probably one of the best games I've ever had in my entire life this past year. You described that way too casually, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> two doubles, two triples, and a home run. There we are. What did you get at the end? Did you ever have a chance and say, you know what? I'm going to stop for my single here. I'm going to hit that cycle. 
Well, I hit one down the line to left field, and then even if I wanted to stop, that would have been pretty bad, you know. So I had to I had to get my triple in. Yeah, it's your fault. You hit it too hard. All right. <laughs> After you got picked by the Tigers, you said you had a gut feeling that it would eventually be Detroit. So if you can take us through your relationship with the Tigers and how it got to where we are today. Um, I had a good relationship with the, uh, the area scout. He came to a lot of my games and uh, I talked to the, to the upper guys um, in the organization. And uh, I, I had a, a good, a good feeling that, you know, that could be one of the teams and, you know, thank the Lord it, it worked out and, you know, I'm a tiger and, and I couldn't be happier. You were taken with the 39th overall pick in this year's MLB draft. And, you know, you knew the Tigers. You knew that was a possibility, but it's not official until they read that name on that card. How nerve-wracking was draft day? It had to be one of the most stressful nights of my life. I, I, I really can't think of uh, another stressful night, but I got to enjoy it. You know, after I got picked, it was, you know, definitely a, a life-changing thing. Um, I don't I don't think I, I really understood it and, and understood what happened, you know, until that next day um, when it when it really sunk in. And it was a, a great feeling to think of what I accomplished. It's hard to forget the moment you hear your name called on draft day. It is also hard to forget your first professional home run. Congratulations. Just had your first pro home run, a three run shot last week. Talk to me about it. What led up to it? He threw me a. Uh, a fastball down and then I changed up my first at bat ended up grounding out to first and then second at bat he went change up change up so it was oh two and then tried to sneak a, a fastball on there and and, and I kind of you know got my my bat extended and you know ended up hitting it pretty far so uh, that was a, a good feeling and, you know you always want to get the you know, first one out of the way so um, it was a, a great feeling for sure. I love that you just took us back to the first at-bat before the home run. It's sequencing, right? I mean, you have to think these things out. One thing I heard you say was that you went back and looked at every single one of your high school at-bats, whether that be from senior year, junior year, what have you, and you got out this notepad and took notes on each at-bat. And you may or may not know this, but that's a big deal to Tigers fans because J.D. Martinez famously kept a notepad in the Tigers dugout and he took notes on every single at bat. Tell us about your notebook. I, I really think that, you know, helped me, you know, mature and, and, and I kind of, you know, in my notebook would write what pitches I, you know, struggled with and, and what pitches I got out with. And let's say it was a fastball, but it was a ball. So, all right, you know, fastball, ball, take, and then let's say it was a fastball strike, fastball strike, you know, swing and miss or, or a foul ball. And, and I kind of do, you know, pretty much a whole game. And then, you know, I'll go, I'll go back. And my dad usually would uh, would video uh, my bat. So I'd go back and, you know, watch the video and kind of, you know, jot down some more notes on my notebook. And, and I think that really, you know, helped me, you know, mature um, and really, you know, study my swing. So, you know, I, I had more consistency in that in the future. Is there anything that's not technical in that notebook? Is it ever turned into like just a straight up journal or anything like that? I'll draw down, you know, how I feel about, you know, what I, what I did in the game and, you know, if I'm happy with my success or my failure, but um, other than that, it's pretty, pretty baseball, uh, baseball related. What goes into being happy with failure? Um, you know, if I, if I go 0 for 3, you know, but I have, you know, two or three really good swings and, and let's say, you know, the ball just didn't drop that, that day, but I feel comfortable and I feel, you know, confident in, in those swings. Um, you know, I'm happy with that because I know that, you know, if I keep keep with my, you know, approach of the plate, you know, my mentality, my and my swings, you know, the ball's going to drop more than more than you think if, you know, your swing isn't good. What's it like going from facing high school kids just three months ago to a bunch of guys who just finished four years of college ball? It's a big change. I think it, it didn't really take me that long to, to adjust. You're a shortstop, but you're a big shortstop at the moment. 6'4", 225. I'm sure you've got some growing to do. Not a lot of those numbers in the major leagues. What does a big guy like you have to do differently than, say, a smaller guy to handle those types of positions and responsibilities? The size that I have and, you know, the body that I have, I have to, you know, work twice as hard as, you know, the small guys that play shortstop. And I, uh, you know, I have to work 
you know, extra hard on, you know, my flexibility and my mobility and, you know, my, my quick twitch and my agility and, you know, still be strong and still be big with my size, but, you know, still have the ability to, you know, make plays in the hole or, you know, make diving catches at short. And for me, I have to work extra hard and, you know, which I have done and, you know, I'm going to continue to do to, to play shortstop. Do you care where you end up playing in the end? For me, a shortstop's been, you know, my, my dream goal. Um, that's what I've, you know, worked all my life for. And I want to be, you know, the next you know, Tigers future shortstop. But um, but I'll do, you know, whatever my coach or my, you know, my guy wants me to do um, to help my team win. There may be a few fans looking for a future shortstop. One thing, as we talk with Isaac Pacheco here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt, we talked to Jackson Job a couple of weeks ago, and he may or may not have mentioned that you're his roommate down in Florida. What's something we need to know about Jackson on the field and as a roommate? Uh, you know, we've uh, we were already friends before we got drafted, and uh, it worked out that we both got drafted to the same team. And uh, I think we became, you know, a lot closer that you know we're living together. I mean, I think you know one thing off the field that's good is he's really clean. You know, which which helps me a lot because I'm clean too. So, you know, everything's neat. You know, in the hotel room, and and it works out. And you know, I think one thing that a lot of Tiger fans, you know, may not know, but they they may know is on the field he's a he's a bulldog. I think you know he's a, a real competitor, and I think you know once he gets on that mound, you know he's a he's a straight face, and you know he's gonna you know get everyone out he can. Have you hit against him at any point on the backfields yet? I'm not, but. We have been talking about it. We're going to face each other sooner or later. So we've been, you know, kind of trash talking to each other. You know, if, if one if I get a hit or if I strike out. So um, I'm definitely looking forward, you know, to those at-bats facing him. Now, what would Jackson say about you as a roommate? He'd probably say this, the same thing. He enjoys that, you know, I, I'm with him because once you get drafted, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, get comfortable with everything and, you know, us going together and, this journey, you know, really helped both of us. I've been helping him a lot with, you know, whatever it may be. And, and he's been helping me a lot, whether it's a schedule or, you know, if you want to go eat together and just talk about stuff and, you know, just you know talk about the, our days we had and, you know, our struggles and success. And, you know, it's, it's worked out so far. Did you guys room together at any other point? Did you play on any other teams? We never roomed together. We played against each other at PG National. Uh, we were on the same team at, at PG All-American. Um, and we talked a little bit at, at PG All-American. And we've always kind of played against each other when we were little um, because he's originally from Dallas and I'm from Houston. So um, travel ball years, we kind of went back to back whenever we you know, were younger. But That has to be pretty cool, especially now. So I got to ask, when you found out that you were the second round pick, how long was it until you connected with Jackson? I think I uh, I enjoyed it for four or five minutes, and then I had a FaceTime him right after, and he was it was pretty fun. So I was uh, right when I got drafted, I was you know looking forward to calling him and, and telling him that we're gonna, gonna be on the same team. That's so cool. Clearly, you guys were meant to be on the same team, be in the same organization. And we've seen guys like Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green up in AA Erie. Those guys seem to be tight. And then, of course, now you have that same chance, whereas you and Jackson Job and some of the other guys the Tigers drafted. But it's so much easier to make that adjustment when you already know somebody as well as you know Jackson. Isaac, thank you very much for joining us here on the Road to Detroit podcast. Means a lot. Very excited to see how things have started for you keep up the good work my friend yeah thanks for having me appreciate it it's now time for best in class of all the players in the tigers minor league system this one made the most noise one two driven to right way back this one goes and it is gone onto the boardwalk over the senators bullpen Breidler goes the opposite way, and it's now a 2-1 to game. Ooh, that's a Ryan Kreidler highlight. A Kreidlight, if you will. That sounds like highlighting somebody crying. <laughs> Ryan Kreidler, a big left-side infielder who is showing some pop to go along with a little bit of speed. Fourth-round pick of the Tigers back in 2019. And I think there were questions. What is Ryan Kreidler? Only played 60 games, but he played him in Connecticut, hit just 232. 
and he has improved after a significant step up in the Tigers minor league system. They bypassed the low A level for Kreidler. Of course, there was no season in 2020. They bypassed the high A level in West Michigan, and they sent him to double A Erie. And of all places to find your power stroke, he's found it in Erie. He has not only fit in, but he has posted some similar power numbers in the home run department to, say, a Spencer Torkelson or a Riley Green. 14 homers, 34 runs batted in. He's also stolen some bases. He's got nine steals in the 82 games he's played this season. He's also on a hot streak right now, and this is why he's best in class. This week alone, he's hit 333 with a 412 on base percentage. He's got a home run, went 10 for 30 at the plate, including three doubles. And I think we're looking at a player who's benefiting from the talent around him. You see Riley Green doing well. You see Spencer Torkelson having a good season. It's always fun when you get to hit in the middle of that lineup. Ryan Kreidler is no different. It's fun how great talent kind of brings out the best in everybody. And Ryan Kreidler has just worked his way into being this week's best in class. All right, I believe it's the final week of The Bachelorette, so it is an appropriate <laughs> time to find out who will take home and accept this Rosa, the Dylan Rosa Award for our producer, Nate Wangler. Remember that one time I went on vacation down to Florida in the middle of the season? Guess what? I'm doing it again. Because <laughs> the, the winner of this week's Rosa is Jack O'Loughlin. And ever since we mentioned his name, Jack O'Loughlin has been performing extremely well down in Lakeland. Again, acquired by the Tigers back in 2016 as just a 16-year-old, he's shown steady improvement in his numbers over his time as a professional. In 2018, he was 0-1, a 435 ERA. 2019 with Connecticut two seasons ago, he was 2-4 and with a 313 ERA. This year, he's 3-0 with Lakeland, a 225 ERA, including 42 strikeouts and 40 innings of work. Jack O'Loughlin is putting up very good numbers, and he's a southpaw, and you can never have enough good left-handed arms. I hope he's up in West Michigan before season's end, but either way, Jack O'Loughlin is making steady improvements in the right direction. I actually just got a text from Jack O'Loughlin. He is too busy to accept this award, but if you can uh, bring it to his family in Sydney, Australia, they would appreciate it. Good. That. Even better. <laughs> Jack O'Loughlin is the winner of this week's Rosa. That's a look at this week's Best in Class. Emily Walden of Baseball America, who recently did a re-rank of Tigers' top prospects and also with The Athletic. Emily joins us now for our first-ever edition of Twitter Spaces, where we take questions from you. You can always hit us up on Twitter. I'm at ThatDanHasty. You can find The Road to Detroit at Road to Detroit and Emily at Emily C. Walden. And welcome to our very first Twitter space edition of the Road to Detroit podcast. Live with us, Emily Walden of The Athletic, Baseball America, and many other different places has been gracious enough to join us here tonight. And the best part is we get to do it all with you. So comments, questions, Tigers minor league prospects, we're here to talk about it. Emily, good evening. How are you? I am well, my friend. How are you? It's exciting to do this. This is the first time we've ever done a live Q&A version of Road to Detroit. Let's jump right into it, if you will. Maybe can you indulge us in your perspective in a state of the Tiger system? Yeah, among the, uh, the many changes that we've seen take place over the time that you and I have even had in this system since 2015, what a turnaround. I mean, this farm system has gone from such a pitching-heavy group to really a group that's showing some incredible position talent. I mean, we've seen over the last couple of days, Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green, just absolutely cranking out home runs. Um, there's four, I believe, right now in Erie's lineup alone that are double digits for home runs. So I think for Tigers fans, that's really giving something to be excited about because as we know, Miguel Cabrera is not going to be around for much longer. You want to add some more firepower to that lineup. And I think these are the guys that are going to get that done. Give us a little look inside the Baseball America re-rank. Yeah, I think one of the most difficult parts is when you have a big group of guys graduate. We had um, Tarek Skubal, Casey Mize, obviously two of the top names in the system. 
they moved beyond the rookie eligibility stance. So that kind of forced me to have to get a little bit creative. But like I was just talking about, with the guys who have stepped up on the position side, it really added a lot more options to be available to consider. And one of the trickiest things, and I'm curious to see what Tigers fans think about this, was debating on if Riley Green was making a push for the number one spot. You've watched how he's played in the outfield, absolutely killed it at the Futures game in Denver, had no issue in the outfield out there. Um, Then offensively, he's been unstoppable, almost matching neck and neck with Torkelson's output, which when we had him in West Michigan, you saw Spencer kind of kind of scuffled a little bit, but once he found his stride, he's really been incredibly impressive ever since. So that was really the most tricky part was just figuring out which one of these guys earns that top spot. But I think experience alone kind of gave Spencer the edge, but Riley's really not that far behind. What What's a fair expectation in terms of that learning curve? Because it's not easy. You get promoted and you kind of get promoted with all this fanfare. You go up to a harder level And that's supposed to be hard. I mean, we've seen it with Dylan Dingler. We're seeing it with a little bit of Gage Workman. But how long do you expect? I mean, Spencer Torkelson even struggled his first two weeks in West Michigan. What's a fair timeline for guys who have to kind of need time to figure it out? Yeah, I would say after this year, especially factoring in how last season really impacted these guys from a development standpoint, giving a guy like Spencer Torkelson, who was absolutely spectacular while he was in college, You saw what a challenge he faced. Gage Workman, a former teammate of Spencer out in Arizona, he's got to find his stride too. I think this is a perfect example of how unique and how individualized this sport can be regardless of the level. And it really shows you what a big separation it is between the college field and then moving into high A. Shall we dare try to open up Twitter space and involve some other people on this thing? That is a gutsy move, my friend. Let's do it. All right, guys, this is NFrank326. So anyway, here's my question. Uh, I saw Reese Olsen had a pretty good start by the numbers the other night. Can you add a little color to his start? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'll jump in there first. I, I had a chance to watch Reese Olsen, his first game in West Michigan. And, you know, Reese, he doesn't strike you as this huge, physical, imposing type of pitcher. And so many guys that have come through the Tiger system have kind of been that way. You think about it, and the first thought you have is, this guy doesn't look like most of the pitchers I've seen the Tigers go after. But then you watch him pitch, and he's got this herky-jerk kind of violent delivery. I enjoyed watching him. He threw six innings. I saw him get up to about 96 miles per hour. And I know this. The thing I like about him the most is that he thinks his changeup is his best secondary pitch. That's a little unusual at this level. Typically, guys don't rely on their changeup more than, say, a curveball or a slider. I mean, a changeup's kind of more of a change of pace pitch. And Emily, you kind of know about this a little bit as well, but he's somebody that kind of came from nowhere, and then all of a sudden he's kind of working his way into this prospect conversation. Dare I throw the name Akil Badu into the unexpected category? <laughs> You're looking at Reese Olsen. Yeah, who he he fits that somewhat of an unknown, somewhat of a off the radar, and then all of a sudden comes in and quite quickly is becoming a name that's created some buzz. Um, I've heard some interesting stuff about both his changeup and his slider, and I, I'm sure you would agree too. It's always interesting to have pitchers sort of grade themselves because they're the ones who obviously know their field the best. They know what works and what doesn't. And for a guy like him, who he's still still 22, still relatively young, for him to slide into a brand new organization like this and find such an effective stride in West Michigan, I think it's a good good sign of things to come. Here's a question that was submitted to us. This is from Sutton Straub. And he said, hi, Dan, love the road to Detroit. I have stood on top of the Jacoby Jones Hill since we got him from Pittsburgh in 2015. Emily, what does he need to do to get back on the roster and maybe a September call-up, or is it a wait until next year? What are your thoughts? Keep up the good work and go Tigers. That is an excellent question. I would say defensively, nothing. He has been one of the most athletic defenders that I've seen come through the Tigers system. Some of his work in the outfield has been incredible. Um, he's got a hit. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. He has been 
quite inconsistent on that front. And I think it really just comes down to his offense because uh, Dave Littlefield um, from the Tigers player development staff, he goes, the the position that the organization is in right now is really, it's open to whoever can prove consistency. He goes, if you, if you go up there as a player, you put in the effort, you show that you can kind of set yourself a little bit ahead of the pack the opportunities are wide open. So I think for a guy like Jacoby Jones, who, again, I love defensively, just some of the plays he's made have been fantastic. He's got to stay healthy. He's got to be able to hit consistently because you've got some younger guns who are coming up in the lineup and he's going to have some pretty tough competition. Is it safe to say that somebody that we saw for many, many years in West Michigan, Derek Hill, might be starting to find his stride offensively? You know, how, how is that for a refreshing turn after all of all of the, the health struggles he had after the challenges he faced? Watching a guy like Derek Hill succeed has been so fun because defensively, there's never been any question for any of us. But being able to hit at that level was really just the only missing piece that he have or that he had. And seeing that where he's at now has just been really incredible to watch. I'm really proud of him. What do you think that teaches us about this game that is player development? Because, you know, Derek is a great example. He's somebody that really struggled to find his way in the professional ranks. I remember 2015, 2016, and I know Derek would even tell you that he had a lot of work to do. And there were times where we just never knew for sure. And honestly, I think even we would say we doubted that Derek Hill would be doing what he's now doing in the major leagues. But the stick-to-itiveness and the patience to let that skill set round into form. And look, I get it. You know, he's almost 26 years old. But I think this is kind of one of those situations where we all kind of take a step back and go, yep, this is what player development really means. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And I mean, it was really a few seasons before we kind of started to see him get consistent exposure since he came up in 2014 it was injury after injury after injury. And I think the defensive potential was always there. But I think you just needed to see those reps from him. And like we talked about before, how unique this development process is for everybody. You've got different physical types. You've got different mental positions. You've got different perspectives. There's so many different things that factor into this that you can't put a blanket timeline on these players because if you do that, you're going to watch guys who could become something great flame out early just because they're being pushed beyond what they're capable of. You've got to find that balance between developing a guy at the pace that's going to match what the organization hopes to see, but also getting to know your guys and being able to tell when they're taking a little too much and when it's okay to kind of push them a little bit more. So really credit to the development staff on the patience they've had with Derek Hill because obviously it's starting to pay off in a big way. This question comes to us from Trev Cherry, and this is kind of one of those $64,000 questions. Do you think Spencer Torkelson or Riley Green could see the big leagues in September? You know, if you had asked me at the beginning of the year, I would say it's very much not likely. But with the way that these two have just steamrolled their way through the season, I will not be surprised. I think that of the two um, it, it could lean a little bit towards Riley um, just because they may want to continue to give Spencer some more reps um, due to that slower start he had at the beginning of the year. But like I talked about before, these guys are so close. They're both so solid defensively. And I think the biggest question is, are they prepared to face that type of pitching in the majors? Are they able to make that mental adjustment to go up against that type of pitching? defensively those two are fine those two could go to Detroit right now and they would be fine but are they able to transition offensively that's really going to be the biggest question but I think it's a definite possibility for the both of them let me ask you this real quick Colt Keith has been off to a really really good start this season we've noticed that he ended up with an on-base well over 400 missed a little bit of time but what's going on with Colt Keith down in Lakeland uh, Colt Keith has been somebody who's been a little bit off the grid um, in comparison to some of the others in his class. And one of the things that I really like about him is tying in the success that he's had and still being 19. Um, he's got the physique that I really like. He's 6'3". He's just over 200 pounds. Um, and if you look at his skill set, 
not graded as a really flashy skill set, but I think the fact that he has the physique that he does, he's still extremely young. I think there's a lot of potential there. And as long as he can stay healthy um, and keep himself in a good pace, I really like the development track that he's on right now. I keep getting DMs as we have this conversation. So I'm getting a lot of questions. Is our buddy Jed, you may know him on Twitter at Tigers J-U-K. He's the one with the 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 Victor Reyes tattoo. And he has a question he wanted to ask as well. He says, does Kristen Stewart's hot streak deserve him another shot in Detroit? Or is it just the difference between AAA and Major League pitching? I would say the latter of the two. Um, Kristen is somebody, and I know that you can agree with this, with the time that you had him in your group. He absolutely works his tail off. And this is one of the tougher sides of watching the minors, watching the guys who make that the crack of the big league level, but just can't quite get there and he had some really impressive moments up there offensively but I know his defense has always been kind of a question mark and unfortunately for more of the either offense or defense focused profiles they really have to excel and a guy like Kristen who is such a power offensive presence if he can't stay in that stride it really creates a challenge because it forces the organization to say is this going to hold? Is this a guy that's really going to be able to bolster our lineup? Unfortunately for him, it just hasn't seemed to have stuck. And I think it really does come down to that more advanced pitching because you find a guy with good enough off-speed stuff, it's going to really fluster even the best power bats in the lineup. And unfortunately for Kristen, that's kind of been the case as of late. If he keeps hitting like this through the rest of the year, He'll probably warrant that conversation. Um, Jackson Job was your number four prospect for the Tigers after the re-rank. I'm curious what led you to put him at number four after being the number three overall pick in this year's draft. Yeah, he was somebody who I think that resume just really left us no choice. And I spoke to a couple scouts who said, for him, he's somebody who's going to live up to the potential. Um, one scout in particular from the National League, he said the thing that really stood out to him is how composed Jackson was in the times that he was able to watch him. Um, the pitch mix, far advanced for his age, um, still just 18, I believe. And to have um, the really the spin rates, that was another topic that another scout brought up. The spin rates have been really impressive, but it's really a maturity beyond his years. And I think anybody who shows that kind of composure at such a young age against more advanced competition, you're going to have some reason to be excited. And for the Tigers, it's just adding a little bit more to that pitching pipeline, especially when they've advanced so many of that core of pitching talent that we saw over the last couple of years. So I think it was a smart move to invest in adding a few more young arms to kind of balance out what the pipeline looks like overall. Ty Madden was the next pick, came from Texas, number 32 overall, ends up signing with the Tigers. And Madden, I don't really know what to make of him. I mean, in terms of just as a strictly from a pitcher's perspective. So you ended up ranking him. You ranked him as the number seven Tigers prospect. So, I mean, it's so funny because two years ago, we were talking about what felt like this three-headed monster between Matt Manning, Casey Mize, and Tarek Skubal. Two years later, now, we've been talking about this group of Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, and Dylan Dingler. And even though Dingler's hurt, it's still been a good year for all three of them. Who knows? Maybe two years from now, we're talking about Jackson Job, Ty Madden, and another wild card. We didn't see Tarek Skubal coming a couple of years ago. So tell us a little bit about Ty Madden and, and maybe why he fell in the draft, because he was obviously considered one of the best prospects in the entire draft. Yeah, when I spoke with scouts about him, um, no noticeable red flags were brought up as far as reasons why he may have dropped a little bit. Um, He's got a really effective pitch mix, um, got a mid-90s fastball, generally tops out about 96 to 97 um, in the looks that scouts had. Um, There's a really impressive slider that they said has the potential to be plus, um, or in other words, about a 60-grade pitch. Um, And then his curve and his changeup are both grading out above average. Um, He is 21, um, so I think the odds of him seeing time in West Michigan are very, very likely, um, just because you've got more of a, a mature position there where I think he could handle that jump without 
without really any problem. So I think he's somebody that the Tigers will challenge once he gets plugged in and um, looks like a pretty effective mix. That should be some fun to watch. I like Isaac Pacheco's skill set. It's funny. Brady House was one of the other players that were commonly linked to be drafted by the Tigers with that number three pick, even as recently as like the day or two before the draft. And as soon as they took Isaac Pacheco, I went and looked up one of the read-ups on Pacheco, and the very first line talked about Brady House. It talked about how he had a lot of similarities to Brady House. So, I mean, what are we looking at here? Is this like Brady Townhouse? Is this Brady Apartment? I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) Yeah, with him, he is the type of person that has a lot of possibility from an offensive standpoint. Um, A couple scouts noted that there is some plus-plus raw power there. Um, He's got the frame. He's 6'4", 225 pounds. And then they also mentioned that he's got a plus arm defensively. So his overall skill set defensively has graded out above average. Really, really fun mix of tools there. And um, I I will be curious to see how his body continues to fill out. He is only about 18, 19 years old still. So could see some more power added into that with having as much as he has already. And it should be interesting to see. So it's Pacheco at number eight for you. And some of the other players that start to round out your top 10, I noticed Joey Wentz was there. It's been a tough year and a half for Joey Wentz. And of course, what he ended up doing in 2020, while there was no minor league baseball, he was rehabbing with Tommy John surgery. He's back now. You get a chance to kind of go hit all these spots in the Tigers minor league system. What have you gathered about Joey trying to make it back from TJ? I talked to a couple of scouts about Joey and I got the chance to see him when he was with Erie prior to um, his surgery. Scouts really believe, the ones that I've spoken to, really believe that he is going to work his way back. Um, one National League scout said the thing that's really impressed him about Joey is the ability to know his body. He knows what he's capable of. He studies the game. And when you have that much of an investment into the way that you're looking at your own development from a personal standpoint, he goes, I, I think that he's going to be able to pace himself to the point where he'll, he'll find that effectiveness again. He's so, so naturally good um, when he's on. He's aggressive, really, really good at taking chances. He knows how to keep hitters off balance. And I think with the rising success rate of Tommy John surgery, I like his chances. I've always been a fan of Joey. I love the way that he works. And I think his chances of returning to full success are really, really high. Let's see. So Ottawa, Detroit, it's your floor if you want it. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Well, yeah, I was just wondering about uh, going back to the, uh, the phenomenon that's Akil Badu. I'm wondering, like, so if he wasn't picked up by the Tigers, he would have been playing in single A for the Minnesota uh, franchise right now. And it just made me wonder, what is the potential for other really low minor league players, if they had the opportunity, would have uh, would have success in the majors and then just end up flaming out in the minors? I think that's a really good question. I mean, sometimes... There are guys, and and we've seen many of them, that we watch on an everyday basis and we just say, you know, he just needs an opportunity. I mean, you think about, you know, a a guy that comes to mind for me, and this is a Windsor native, so you'll probably appreciate this, Jake Robson, who was played in the Tigers minor league system for a handful of seasons and has continued to hit the ball well. The thing I liked about the Akil Badu pick, even in the moment that it was made, it was a high upside pick. You knew that if that hit we're looking at a potential everyday outfielder. And I think we can all agree that we might be looking at a potential everyday outfielder. So I love the high upside played. I I really liked what the Tigers did with that pick. I hope they continue to follow that blueprint because a lot of teams don't follow that blueprint enough, but there has to be somebody worth taking at that pick. And Emily, I'll, I'll let you add into that. Yeah, I think one of the things that I enjoy seeing the most with a guy like Akil Badu is you have people constantly say, well, he won't be able to keep this up. He's eventually going to flame out. He's eventually going to lose momentum. I feel like Akil is the type of player who takes that challenge on and says, watch me work. 
because he's really continued to just exceed expectations throughout the entire year. And it, it really comes back again to the organization knowing its players, because you look at a guy like Derek Hill, if you were to put him in the position he's in now, even two years ago, I don't think we'd be seeing the same production, but it's the organization saying, okay, he needs just a little bit more time and then toss him up there. See what he's capable of. Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, these guys who are so young, still getting that chance to find their flow comes down to the organization knowing what they're working with, knowing what those players are capable of, and then making sure that they're keeping them on their toes with a little challenge here or there to keep them, keep them fresh and see what they're capable of. Uh, Mr. Ottawa, Detroit, or is it Mr. Detroit? Do you have any other questions for Emily or myself? Uh, no, that was just the main one. It, my uh, my daughter's the biggest fan of him, and uh, I'm hoping we're going to be able to go see him in Toronto in, uh, in a couple weeks' time. That is Ottawa, Detroit. Wow. So, I mean, you know, I, I loved it. I really loved what we saw from him to begin the season. And, you know, it's funny because typically we see these guys go through uh, kind of these tough swings of, of hot streaks and slumps, but we don't see them have to figure that out at the major league level. I think for me, that's why what Akil Badu figured out this year is really significant. No, I think so too. And, it's, it was that breath of fresh air that I think the organization really needed um, to kind of put a bit of a spark plug in that lineup. And how many times did he come through in a huge way this year? Really stepped in, made some massive plays. Um, that's what an organization like Detroit needs. You need a guy who's going to add a little firepower. It's going to add some excitement. I personally love the theatrics of when he hit home runs and when he came through in the clutch. You need those type of personalities like the Fernando Tatis Juniors in the game today that really, really sort of jolt the dugout with some electricity to say, you know what? It's okay to celebrate. This organization has been through so much and they deserve some opportunity to really celebrate this game, celebrate the progress that they're making and really celebrate the direction that they're headed as a club. I definitely want to get your take on the catching position because all of a sudden, who would have thought that a year ago we might be looking at this now as a position of strength? It's it's really kind of fun, isn't it? Just because for a while it was Jake Rogers. He was kind of the the one that everybody had set their eyes to. Uh, Grayson Griner was kind of scuffling a little bit. He's somebody who, though, I think is maturing and still working to stay a dependable piece to that catching pipeline. Uh, but now you've got the guys like Dylan Dingler and another one who I personally am hoping starts to kind of pick up momentum is Cooper Johnson. I love him defensively. I watched him pick off two guys in one game. And I went, you know what? Go for three. Let's pick off four. I want to see how far you can go. He's got such a cannon behind the plate. And I really just think that it comes down to him finding his stride as a hitter, um, showing what he can do at that point. Because as we know with catchers, you don't have that same expectation offensively. You obviously want to see them hit, but they don't have the same pressure in that position if they're able to hold it down behind the plate. Cooper Johnson has a cannon behind the plate, and he's somebody that I think would add a lot of defensive depth in that position, but he just has to show that he can produce offensively. Find her on Twitter at Emily C. Walden. This is pretty cool. I like this. I might try this again as long as I can get the buttons to work. I think as long as we can figure out what buttons to push, we should definitely do this again. <laughs> That's Emily Walden. want to thank all of you for listening and spending part of your evening with us here on the Road to Detroit podcast. That is Emily Walden on Twitter Spaces, again, here for the Road to Detroit. It's now time for the road ahead. Let's go to Lakeland. The Flying Tigers head to Palm Beach to take on the Cardinals' low-A affiliate in a seven-game, six-day series. West Michigan, they're going to take on the Cleveland Indians' high-A team just in the backyard of the Indians' home ballpark at Progressive Field. They're heading to Lake County to take on the Lake County captains about 20 minutes away from Progressive Field for six games. For Erie, they return home six games set against the Altoona Curve. And Toledo, they travel to the home 
of the Buckeyes. They face the Columbus Clippers in a six-game stretch. I know that hits home for Nate Wangler, our producer. Did you know his Uncle John was the Michigan starting quarterback, 1979 and 1980? John Wangler, that's your, that's your uncle, Nate. Johnny Wangler and Anthony Carter. They were a one-two combination there for Michigan for a little bit, so go blue. Must be nice to have your number one target, somebody that ended up going to the Pro Bowl three straight years. Yeah, not a bad option in Anthony Carter. It's funny, one time he was actually in Columbus with Bo Beckler, they were going to play Ohio State, and they had the power to their hotel cut the night before the game. Mm. So, yeah, not not too many friends in Columbus, Ohio, uh, do the Wanglers have. But that's okay. That's so unlike the people of Columbus. <laughs> well, that wraps up this edition of the Road to Detroit podcast. Tell us what you think of the show. Find me on Twitter at that Dan Hasty. You can send me a question. You can also tweet at Road to Detroit. Let them know how you feel about the show. Let them know what you'd like to see. We've got six episodes left this season, and we want to do exactly what you're looking for. This is the People's Podcast. It's the Road to Detroit. For our producer, Nate Wangler, I'm Dan Hasty. We'll be back with another installment next week. And until that time, see ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future, trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you.